0: This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman.
1: Welcome to episode 107 of the On The Banks podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Coming off a pretty wild Saturday in Ann Arbor, Rutgers. Surprising a lot of people, including myself, with that second half performance. After a pretty rough start, down 20 to three at the half and coming out in the second half and beating Michigan at their own game, stopping the run four, three and outs in a row from the defense. Really, uh, w- one of the most impressive defensive performances we've seen out of Rutgers ever and really changed the, the, the whole dynamic of the game. Uh, we're able to sustain drives in the second half. The no uh, vegetable uh, passed to Aaron Young for the touchdown. Uh, great play design, great throw from Vajral. From I think he really was a warrior in that game and kept Rutgers in it when potentially, you know, I, listen, you know, mistake-free football keeps you in games like that. Although we had the first turnover of the season and the last drive of the game, uh, you really have to give him a lot of credit for how he played in that game and I think just really set the tone for what this team can be. I think it's, you know, irresponsible to forget the first half because that's still what Rutgers is. But we saw the progression very quickly in the second half, and it's almost like something clicked, and they just were able to play winning football. There wasn't much trickery. There was, you know, a little bit, but just man for man, they, they outplayed Michigan. Uh, and I thought the way that the, the battle was in the trenches on both sides of the ball, you know, I mean, just thinking about the defense in perspective, just what they did, and without Julius Turner, who was ejected in the first half for a targeting call, without Max Melton, really the, the two best defensive players they've had aside from 3 this season, uh, Olokunay Padakazi, really, really impressive. Uh, I thought Kaysan Abraham played great filling in for Melton. Now they have Patrice Rene back, you know, obviously got his feet wet in that game. So I think where the defense is at right now really is the most surprising thing to me uh, and the most hopeful. I don't think necessarily against Ohio State. Uh, I think that's a different different animal altogether. But All of a sudden, you're looking past this. uh, After we get past Ohio State, you have Michigan State. uh, Then you have uh, Northwestern, Illinois. You have Indiana on the road. You have Maryland the last week of the season. Those are all potentially winnable games. If this defense can stay the way they are, healthy as a roster, special teams play, offense playing mistake-free football, this is all of a sudden starting to look like a bowl team. Uh, we'll get into it more about both the, the Michigan reaction and also uh, more into the matchup now with Ohio state who come to Piscataway this Saturday, three thirty kickoff airing live on uh, the big 10 network, Ohio state coming off a uh, blowout win over Akron, you know, a little bit of a, a odd start for them. The fact that they do have a loss, but again, it was to Oregon who is looking like a college football playoff contender. So Before we get there and I introduce our guests, I did want to cover uh, the rest of the fall sports. Uh, Another big week for field hockey. Two more ranked wins this past weekend in Chicago, Evanston, Illinois, Northwestern, number three Northwestern, a team they beat twice last year who were number four at the time, which was at the time the program's highest ranked win over uh, an opponent. They broke that record this week. Northwestern number three, they were down the goal early one to one huge win for them. That was the team that knocked them out of the big 10 tournament last fall, uh, last spring, excuse me. Uh, so just a huge, huge win for them. They were number 10 coming into this week or excuse me, last week you beat number three Northwestern. Then they come back another road game at Princeton on Sunday, number 17 in the country. And a couple of people asked me in the comments of my article, you know, Princeton has a losing record right now. Um, but just to put things in context, Princeton field hockey, they've lost to four top 10 teams. They didn't play in the spring because of the Ivy league, but in 2019, they went to the national championship game and they lost 2018. They lost in the semifinals. Rutgers has now beaten them three times in a row, 2018, 2019. And then uh, this past weekend for the first time ever. So Someone said, oh, Princeton doesn't seem like a great program. They have a losing record. Why are they even ranked? Well, Princeton's one of the best programs in the country, and Rutgers is dominating them right now. So, uh, again, they gave up an early goal in that game, too, and they came back and scored three. So, Meredith uh, and Coast team, 8-1 and to start the season, seven ranked wins, most of program history already. Huge weekend coming up. Number two, Iowa, undefeated, 10-0, and comes to Piscataway on Friday. So we'll see really, truly where this Rutgers team is at. But to think that they can't win the Big Ten regular season title, the Big Ten tournament, which is at Rutgers, and go really deep uh, in the NCAA tournament, they're there. So uh, really compelling season for them so far. Women's soccer uh, had their game against Michigan, who's uh, one of the better women's soccer teams in the Big Ten. Canceled last Thursday due to the storm. Uh, game's going to be rescheduled, yet to be determined. Came back on Sunday. Beat Nebraska one to nothing. Uh, really amazing goal from Allison Lowry. Uh, but first time they beat Nebraska uh, since joining the Big Ten. Six consecutive draws, get the win. I think it was a huge, huge step for them. You know, after they beat Penn State in the spring and had the leg up on the Big Ten title, they they lost their next game, and Penn State didn't lose again. And they won another uh, third consecutive Big Ten regular season title. Rutgers, that second game past Penn State after that first win, this season they beat nebraska penn state lost this weekend they now have two losses in the regular season so Rutgers really has an opportunity here for women's soccer to make another push they're number nine coming to this uh this week so both women's soccer and field hockey will be soundly uh ranked in the top 10 when the rankings come out this week uh so great starts for them men's soccer huge setback two nothing defeat to wisconsin not one of the better Big Ten teams. Did have a huge uh, loss uh, coming into that game with Oren Asher, the goalkeeper, who's had a phenomenal year. Had a non-COVID-related illness, did not play. I don't know if, you know, the men's soccer team, they started looking at the news clippings or not, but really played a poor game uh, and got beat legitimately in that game. But huge opportunity to step back uh, and bounce back this weekend. Every expectation that they will. And then volleyball had a tough weekend as well. When number 20 Penn State at home at the rack, followed by number two Wisconsin, did not win a set in either match. But listen, I don't think we could expect volleyball to win those matches right now. It's really about winning the winnable game, uh, win- winnable matches that they have coming up. And I think, uh, listen, they could scare a ranked team here and there. But the reality is, if they can win those games against non ranked teams in the Big Ten, they're going to make progress this year. So, Big Ten play in full swing for all the sports. Football, obviously, Michigan Big Ten opener uh, really gave us <laughs> quite quite a quite a lot to talk about, uh, and we're going to do that now as I welcome in our guests coming back to the podcast, Keith Sargent, two decades on the beat for Rutgers with NJ Advance Media. He's back again to talk Rutgers, at Michigan preview, Ohio State. We even sneak in a little Michigan State talk. And then... Uh, really excited to have Bill Landis from The Athletic, uh, the beat writer for Ohio State for The Athletic, here to talk about the Buckeyes as well. So let's get to it. It is now my pleasure to welcome in longtime Rutgers beat reporter, Keith Sargent of NJ Advanced Media. Keith, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate having, having me on.
1: So you've been on the beat long time. You've seen a lot of things with Rutgers football, good, bad, How, on a scale, I guess I don't want to, you know, have you rank it, but just on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprising and unthinkable was just the second-half performance? You said it in the press box, the way they played that first half, coming out, and the way they they basically beat Michigan at their own game. How surprised were you based on everything you've seen from this
0: program over the last two decades? Scale 1 to 10, um, 32. Can I go above (laughs) 10 or no? (laughs) That Um, works. The only reason why is because, you know, you watch the first drive, 17 plays, you know, they marched down the field, you know, with, with, with ease, I mean, 15 running plays, you know, the nation's uh, top running running attack. He just kind of figured that, you know, Michigan was going to have their way. Uh, now, granted, Rutgers kind of, uh, you know, was able to calm things down, you know, made, made some adjustments, but he just never really got, got the sense that they were going to be able to, uh, you know, play with Michigan just after that opening drive. Uh, give them a lot of credit. They 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 adjusted. They made a lot of you know. They were able to uh, you know impose their will. And and unlike uh, you know conventional wisdom where where we've seen you know the, the theory that Rutgers was always going to struggle in Big Ten play because you know they're always going to be at a disadvantage in the trenches. They they proved that you know the opposite. They were able to actually play with Michigan. How much of this do you think
1: will we look back on as almost like an aha moment where? I thought you made a good point about how Rutgers just, you know, they, they weren't doing anything fancy. They were just, they were playing winning football. How important do you think it is from a confidence standpoint, but also from a, a teaching learning standpoint for them to be able to look back on this game?
0: Uh, it's, it's very important. The question I still have right now is, you know, we, we saw them in, you know, in the opener, I thought the offensive line played really well and in the second game, they regressed, you know, just exactly what, what, what is uh, this unit now? You have to imagine Ohio State is going to look at the film and they're going to see uh, you know see see different things. You know, they there's a reason why Rutgers has, has rotated as many offensive linemen, you know, as they have through the first four weeks. Even this past week, they 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 kept the interior, the, the guards the same and the center the same, but they kept on rotating the tackles. So it's still very much a work in progress. You know, Ohio State's a different animal. I mean, their defensive line's not as dominant as it's been, but they're still very, very good.
1: I think that's a good point because I was I was thinking about it, you know, after the second half that they had against Michigan, I feel like the matchup now with Ohio State is the absolute worst matchup you could have coming out of that game. If they were if they were playing, you know, Northwestern Illinois next, I feel like there was a real opportunity to build up for of that on the field where now it's like, you know, you're going against the best team in the Big 10. How much of it is about survival versus actually having a chance to win the game?
0: It's tough. The one thing is you know, we've seen you know early on in in Rutgers, you know, tenure and you know in the Big Ten, you know, they would have these games, you know, back to back to back, It would be the the Big Ten gauntlet, and they they wouldn't really survive from a from a health standpoint. By all accounts, they seem to be pretty healthy. They're as healthy as they've been entering uh, week five. You know, really, you know, last year they were pretty healthy too. But they're pretty good from from that standpoint. Ohio State, the concern I have with them. Is they have so many skill position guys. They have, you know, four or five guys who could legitimately play in the NFL at some point. Just in the wide receiver core, two guys, you know, in, in Alave and, and and Wilson, who are likely first round picks. You know, the two running backs are really good. The true freshman looks really good. You know, they they have so many skilled position guys. Michigan, didn't. and you know, we, we talked about the trenches and Rutgers was able to ha- handle themselves. Um, once Rutgers was able to kind of calm things down from you know stopping to run. You know, it became a, well, Rutgers is daring Michigan to throw the ball. K McNamara is good, but he didn't really have the same type of weapons that Ohio State has. So um, that's the one concern that I have. I think Rutgers is going to, you know, from a secondary standpoint, this is going to be their biggest challenge of the year.
1: I know just going back to the Michigan game a little bit, I know uh, Michigan fans were, you know, uh, one of their complaints about Harbaugh is that he doesn't make adjustments, you know, and he continued to try to run the ball down Rutgers' throat. And then to their credit, they stood up. From a Rutgers point of view, I almost wonder – what do you think about the idea of in, in a way they almost outsmarted themselves at times in that game where I feel like they didn't realize or think, you know, Rutgers surprised even the coaching staff and that they were able to, to beat Michigan straight up versus, you know, some of the some of the trickery that they came out with, I you know, I, I love their aggressiveness, but I think did it, it almost hurt them by not just trying to play more straight up at times.
0: It hurt them in, in the Michigan game. I think uh, if you if you gave the coaching staff some true serum, I think they would probably admit that it probably impacted uh, them a little bit. Ohio State, you have to keep in mind again, different animal, different personnel. Probably have a lot more. You know, there's a reason why Ohio State has won the Big Ten the last four years. I mean, people are saying, well, Michigan, this might be the year where where they're vulnerable. Um, you know, they lost to Oregon. Oregon, you know, is, is, uh, top five team right now. Uh, they didn't look great against Tulsa, but you know, they still found a way to win. Ohio State. Until someone takes them off the uh, mountaintop, I still have a hard time believing that they're not the best team in the Big Ten. The way they've played the last four years, and then just the way they've recruited. So different animal. You know, look. I mean, I I, I think from a, a confidence standpoint, you know, it, it, they I, I think Rutgers can ha- can have confidence that in every game beyond this week that they have a chance to, to to physically match up in trenches. Starting with Michigan State a week the following week, but you know, right now I think you know, if Rutgers is to win this game, you know, long shot as it is, I think it would probably be be kind of like what they did in the second half last year with all those trick plays and, you know, they just kept Ohio State, you know, off balance. But keep in mind, that was a 35-3 game at halftime.
1: But aside from, from Ohio State, which I totally agree with you, do you think that the staff maybe will, will take a different approach against, say, a Michigan State where, you know, they will try to play more straight up and just be the man for man?
0: I do, I do. Um I'd like to, you know, if you you know have me on next week and I, I actually see, you know, just how there's a uh, offensive line, you know, gels, you know, I'd like to actually see. I know Greg Schiano has kind of dismissed the idea of his previous tenure, he was all about find a, the five best offensive line and play them. Now he doesn't seem to mind rotating a little bit more. I still think that, you know, long term, he you know, he'd like to actually find you know the five best and and Um, So I'd like to see them settle on an offensive line. All that being said, yeah, I think, you know, the one great confidence builder is the fact they beat Michigan State a year ago. The fact that they were in eight of the nine games last, uh, last season, well, maybe seven of the, you know, nine games last season, season they had a chance to win. So, you know, and and they play winning football so far this year. So, I mean, I think all those things are are things to to build on and have confidence going into, you know, the, uh, you know, the pivotal stretch of the season, which is in October. So talking
1: about Shiano and, you know, mentioning, you know, what he said his first tenure versus his second tenure with the offensive line, what, what has surprised him the most to you? You know, you obviously covered him extensively the first time. What's been the biggest surprise in how he has handled things and his approach
0: uh, as 2.0? Not really a surprise, but just knowing the way he operated the first time around, I think he's really had a lot more uh, comfort delegating responsibilities to his, office, uh, to, to his coaching staff. You know, I still think he, you know, his fingerprints are all over the defense, but particularly on the offensive side of the ball, you know, he has an offensive coordinator and Sean Gleason, who we trust. You know, he's always been a CEO type type coach coach that'll never change. I think the reason why he's kind of, you know, some people will say is uh, Graciana 2.0 from the standpoint that he's m- maybe mellowed out, has more life perspective. The reason why I think that that's true is he's 55 now, right? He was 34 when he started his first ten- tenure. He was still learning, you know. So I think that's you know with, with with anyone. I think I'm I'm probably a little bit different than the first time I covered Graciano, um, you know, which was you know the Buffalo game back in 2001. Um, <laughs> don't don't go on newspapers.com and look at my, my 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 sidebar from that game, guys. Well,
1: you know, so that that kind of leads into my next point, and I know uh, you and your colleagues uh, Steve Politi and James Cratchit. Rutgers fans love to pile on when, when, you know, there's criticism and uh, be upset about it. But I, I guess, you know, I I kind of was in the middle this weekend. I was getting complaints. I was too critical. I was getting complaints. I wasn't critical enough. So just in terms of context, you know, I, I get the whole idea that, you know, Rutgers at some point, they have to win these games and we don't want a consolation prize. There's no moral victories. Uh, and, and obviously listen, they had three drives in the fourth quarter where they could have tied or won that game and they couldn't do it. Uh, obviously that's hugely disappointing, but from a context perspective, we're not even midway through year two. We know what, uh, Shiano inherited, you know, how important do you think, or how fair do you think it is for Rutgers fans to be able to take some solace in that of of where they are already, but at the same time, you know, having that balance of wanting
0: more. I think it's completely fair. Um, the one thing is, like, we were critical of those the fourth down, uh, you know, decisions, particularly, and I was critical of the fourth and ten right before the half, and I still, you know, and Graciano, you know, he admitted, it, like, you know, he said hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, it's still, you know, it was probably the wrong decision, and I was critical of that, and I think, you know, I, you know, a lot of the fans who I talked to were critical. Nothing wrong with that. As I said on the podcast, there were one hundred and forty plays in that game, Aaron, and. You know, we talked about the adjustments that they made after that opening drive, the way they were able to sustain drives in the second half that kept Michigan's defense on the field, tired them out, all those things, you know, you have to give them a ton of credit. If you were giving the coaching staff a grade from that game, you would still give them an A. But that being said, it's like anything else. You can, you can be critical of that. And, and also, you know, those two statements can be, can, can be true. The fact that, you know, they, they, they coach a hell of a game, and, you know, that, you know, if you were saying that who's a more talented team, you know, Michigan or Rutgers and the fact that Rutgers almost won the game credit to the coaching staff. And yet that, you know, four to ten play was the wrong call. So those two statements can be correct. It's completely healthy to be to be critical. And, you know, you know, media fans, nothing wrong with that. You know, Greg Ciano, you know, he says that he's the first one to say it like, you know, you know, you know, boo me or criticize me if I make the wrong call. I think he took it and I think he you know, ultimately admitted it was probably the wrong call.
1: I agree with you. You would know better than me, but isn't he also a little different in that regard this time around where I feel like he's a little more, uh, he makes himself, not, not that he didn't make himself accountable the first time, but he seems more proactive in how he kind of says it right away after a, a disappointing loss.
0: I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think toward the end of his tenure, um, he, he started falling on the sword. The one thing that, you know, he's always said is, you know, again, boo him. You know, he's a professional, gets paid a lot of money and, you know, don't be so critical of the players, which, you know, I don't think any, any, anybody, any of us were really. I mean, you know, you know, there, there's a segment of the fan base that might be overly critical on the quarterback, but that's a different story. But, you know, overall, you know, I think Graciano is, you know, he, you know, understands, the media landscape. He understands the fan base. And, and, you know, and I think overall, I think he, you know, going to take the criticism. So based on,
1: you know, the performances Saturday, they said three and one, obviously they have a tall task this weekend with Ohio state, the schedule, you know, things have kind of turned in a way that definitely reason to be optimistic with Northwestern, Illinois, Maryland, even maybe Indiana on the road. I think Michigan state at home is an interesting game too. Where have expectations for you or where should they be from, you know, before the season, what we thought we were going to get to where they are right now? Would it, in fact, be fair for it to be a disappointment at this stage that if they don't make a bowl game?
0: it's fair. Um, you know, you win your three. We talked about like the map to get to, to the six wins, and they cleared that, that, that first hurdle. Going 3-0 in non-conference sets the table, gives them an opportunity. Last year, they won three games in Big Ten play. So, you know, if they were not to win, you know, three games and, you know, on top of the 3-0 and start, I think it would be fair, you know, to, to, to be honest with you. You know, keep in mind, I said all along, you know, at the very beginning of the year, you know, I wrote about the number of six-year seniors that they had, nine, which tied to, you know, Illinois for, for, for the most in Big Ten. You know, you look at the the number of starters they had back, 20 or 22. Graciano kept on pouring cold water saying 2020, you know, you don't really know what exactly what it was. Now we're four weeks into it. We're, you know, a quarter of the way through, and I think we know. I think we kind of have a feeling that, you know, Rutgers, you know, if they could stay healthy, which is never an easy task, but if they could stay healthy, they have a Big Ten caliber defense. They have a really good, very, very good, maybe one of the best in the Big Ten special teams units across the board, you know, they have a a quarterback who's a game manager. He's not going to commit turnovers. He's efficient. He might not hit you with the big play, but you know, he's good enough to win games in the big 10. So you have two of your three phases that are, are are winning big 10 caliber uh, football. You have an offense that that seems to be complimentary. So there's no reason to, 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 yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I think anything but a bowl game right now, I think it would be a disappointment.
1: And last point on on Ohio State, you know, obviously, they've they've, uh, done a really good job of playing mistake free football, one turnover at the end of that game for the whole season. But against Ohio State, like you said, you know, they, they need to kind of let it ride a little bit more. How important is it for them to pull off some big plays to have a chance even to be competitive? And does that mean that, you know, if they have a couple turnovers, you know, if the defense can respond to that, that's okay.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of the second half recipe um, that, you know, they're going to have to be creative. They haven't really unleashed a whole lot of trick plays through the first you know quarter of the season. Um, and then the other key is obviously, you know, is, is uh, the secondary. They're going to have to, you know, contain those wide receivers and, and Wilson Alave. You know, the run defense, again, you know, Ohio State has a really good uh, rushing attack at this point. And then I'll give you one more. It's a third down. I asked Greg Gregciano about it today. Rutgers has the best third down defense in you know in the Big Ten. Ohio State has the best third down offense, which means you know, basically they're converting first downs at a 53% clip on third down. So you know, that down in particular is gonna be gonna be a key.
1: And last question, uh, a little bit of a sneak preview looking past Ohio State. We can do that. We don't play we can't uh, do that. Nope. <laughs> wanna
0: know this week, Aaron. Sorry, bud.
1: <laughs> well, all right, so we're gonna go into another mantra and and I can't send the Kyle Flood mantra want to know. Uh, I hate when Michael uses it too, but it's not his fault. He doesn't know just your thoughts, your perspective. You've covered Shiano a long time. Mel Tucker, Michigan state. Keep <laughs> chopping. You've, I know you probably don't want to answer this, but I mean, I, there, this, yeah. this has to get asked next Monday at his press conference. I mean, what do you, it's it just, I, I actually am not even upset about it. I'm fascinated by what Mel Tucker's thinking In terms of, you know, I mean, not even going out of your own division, he's recruiting New Jersey hard. You know, I I mean, I people are saying Rutgers has it copyrighted. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, just how how surprised are you that this is kind of taking off? And what do you think? I mean, are we are we on a budding rivalry potentially, you know, coming up with this 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 series now between Michigan State and Rutgers?
0: I'll say this, okay, and it's a copycat business. You mentioned the one and oh. Well, Graciano mentions the one and oh, Pykele does. A lot of coaches mentioned James Franklin uh, does a one and oh. It's a copycat business. And keep in mind also the Siano chop. You know, if you really want to be fair about it, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think it was Jack Del Rio uh, started it. If you if you Google it, it didn't really end well because I think um, their place kicker might have tried to chop an axe. And I think he might actually hit his leg, didn't cut (laughs) his leg off, but I think, you know, it it, it went badly. So if you really want to, you know, say who created it, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think it was in 2005. Um, So, look, it's a copycat business. I am, uh, you know, we will ask him the question and hopefully, you know, one of my colleagues from Live, you know, asked Mel Tucker about it as well. I love it. I mean, I you know, it gives us another storyline when we're trying to get through a week. I
1: figured you would say that. And, you know, I, I guess I just like Shiano's origin of the chop with the whole, when he was an assistant at Miami and talking about the psychologists that came in and yep. talked to them. So, yep. you know, yes, may, maybe Jacksonville did have it first. I, I, I actually misremembered that he waited until 2005 till he implemented it.
0: Yeah, the Illinois game. The Illinois game. Right,
1: right. right, right. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I just think it's fascinating. I think that game next week has so many storylines. So, I look forward to reading all your coverage uh, once again, and uh, thank you so much for your time tonight.
0: Aaron, you guys do a great job, and, and you, know, you guys are you know, you know, really good. We, we, you know, we, we really appreciate your coverage as well. It's my
1: pleasure to now welcome in Bill Landis of The Athletic, who's been covering Ohio State athletics since 2014. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. How's everything going? Going oh, well. Appreciate you having me on. So, Bill, just jumping in, Ohio State comes to Rutgers this Saturday, 3-1 and one record. Started the season with a a solid win uh, over Minnesota. Didn't blow them out, but uh, were comfortably in the lead the whole time. Had the home loss to Oregon uh, by a touchdown. uh, Beat Tulsa, but it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And then the blowout over Akron. What are your biggest takeaways from this team so far this season?
2: Uh there are quite a bit. Um I would say that the I, I don't think anyone was super high on the defense coming into the year because there were so many questions coming off of last year. But I, I think in many ways at least the start was worse than many anticipated. They've tried to get some things fixed here the last couple of weeks, and I think they've made some some good strides. Um and then the offense, which people had really high hopes for, uh, which was, you know, working in a new freshman quarterback, and I think maybe A lot of us fail to take that into account, but there's so many playmakers that we just assumed it'd be one of the best offenses in college football, and I think it still has that potential, but thus far, it really hasn't been. Now, they looked like themselves last week against Akron. Um, They looked like themselves in the second half against Minnesota, but there's not really been a consistently kind of explosive game from that offense against a quality opponent so far this year, and I think that has people a little bit nervous.
1: Well, I think you just made Rutgers fans nervous, too, because it, it is a get well game for Ohio State. Always a concern. Uh, obviously, Rutgers was much more competitive in the second half of their meeting last year. Just get into the nuts of it with the offense. Um, you know, what is the status of uh, C.J. Stroud to miss last game and, um, you know, the potential for uh, McCord to play in his place
2: versus uh, Stroud? So we don't have, we're, we're talking on Tuesday morning. We don't have official word just yet on CJ Stroud. He is going to practice this week. We know that much. Um, Ryan Day has not named a starter yet. My anticipation is that it will be CJ uh, as long as he's healthy. And And his issue seems to be more of just shoulder soreness, I think, lingering from something that happened in camp. I don't think it's something all that serious, but they wanted to give him a rest last week against Akron. They played Kyle McCord, true freshman, um, played high school ball in Philadelphia. I'm sure you're. Listeners are familiar with Kyle and his, and his father. It would be cool if Kyle played against Rutgers in a second start, and maybe maybe Ryan Day will come up with a plan to play both those guys, but Kyle did not play so well last week against Akron that I think it's it's sort of what forced Ryan Day's hand to play him again against Rutgers. So as long as CJ's healthy, my guess is that CJ will start.
1: And just in terms of of how he's been, I mean, statistically, he, he's, he looks pretty good. Um, obviously, Ohio State has a, a trio of outstanding receivers how has the passing game gone so far when he has been in there
2: some good some really nice flashes kind of like the second the second half against Minnesota I thought they were pretty good Sort of in the middle part of the game against Oregon, they had a really slow start, but I thought CJ in the second quarter and really the third quarter of that game was excellent, but then just didn't close it well. And he's missed a lot of throws. He's, he's missed high, to be more specific. And I think some of that might be his his shoulder soreness. But, you know, he, he's a retro freshman. He didn't throw a pass before coming into this year. His first start was was against Minnesota. His really first game action of, of note was against Minnesota. So I think it's understandable that a young quarterback would have to work through some things, but Ohio State is also used to a certain caliber of quarterback play here so the fact that CJ is in the 60s with his completion percentage has thrown a couple of interceptions on on misfired balls has has looked hesitant at times it's hard for people around here to kind of wrap their mind around because they just spent two years watching Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins before that so they're a little spoiled here but I I think it's normal kind of trials and tribulations for a young quarterback that you've seen from CJ and from Kyle last week but it's not there's still a lot of room for growth there for CJ. It's not all clicked yet. Um, I think at some point this year it will. I don't know if that'll be necessarily this week because he, I, I would imagine will be a little bit rusty because he didn't play last week, but I think you can see the potential with him. It's just that there's not a whole lot of patience around here to let a young quarterback kind of grow in that way.
1: Well, I did want to ask you about that because I think it's interesting, you know, obviously Ohio state is, is super talented. Uh, I think, you know, until they're not the best team proven not to be the best team in the Big Ten, they are or should be considered such. But you look at a team like Clemson, you know, that lost Lawrence, a quarterback, and they've completely fallen off where Ohio State, obviously they had a loss, but it was to a top five team and they still, are, you know, have their destiny basically, uh, you know, to control. Uh, is, is there any kind of, you know, how does the how did the fan base look at it? I mean, are they is there any appreciation, I guess, for even if this is a so-called You know, down year or down team so far, uh, that it's still pretty good. No.
2: Ohio State fans don't know how to lose because they don't lose very often so when it happens the the world kind of ends and and people spiral out (laughs) of control and want massive changes all over the place and that's not the like Ohio State did have to make some changes and they did so on their defensive staff they made some personnel changes but like I said before there's not a whole lot of patience I think with with this fan base you are right everything is still in front of them as long as they don't lose again they're probably going to make the college football playoff and I, I guess over the last few weeks, when, when they lost to Oregon, obviously no one took that well, but I think over the last couple of weeks we've seen that there isn't really a dominant power in college football right now. I think you feel pretty good about Alabama and Georgia, but you know Georgia's got some injury issues. Alabama looked vulnerable against Florida. We'll see what they do this week when they play Ole Miss, so I think there was a major freakout when Ohio State lost because they just figured there's no chance we're ever going to get back on the same level as Alabama and Georgia, and maybe that's calmed down a bit because of what's happened the last few weeks but it will never uh i don't i don't think uh see the forest for the trees when ohio state uh, loses a game because uh that doesn't happen very often around here
1: so just getting back to the defense um you know average about giving up 30 points a game before the akron game uh even tulsa was able to, to move the ball on them what has been the biggest issue uh with the defense so far
2: it's been a mixed bag i think the biggest thing at least in the first three games and it got rectified a little bit against a bad Akron team was is their total lack of pressure on the quarterback they just they weren't getting any um and they had nine sacks against Akron I, I would take that with a large grain of salt because Akron might be the worst team in college football or, or one of the worst top one of the five worst teams in college football so I'm curious to see what that looks like against, you know, I know Rutgers has its own share of problems on the offensive line, but clearly they have a better offensive line than Akron does. So I wonder if that's going to carry over if they if they found something against Akron or they just got after a bad team because uh, they're not they're OK in the second level linebacker and and secondary. Um, I do like a couple of their corners quite a bit Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown, but linebacker in the past game is not very good. Safety is, is a pretty big question mark for them. And if you can't get after the quarterback the way we're accustomed to seeing Ohio State do that over the years, it just makes it really hard on on some inexperienced guys who maybe aren't quite at the same talent level that you're used to. So I would start there with the the, the front, but there were also some schematic issues that that they're trying to rectify. They were just pretty stagnant in what they did, pretty predictable. I think for a lot of teams, and that goes back to last year. There's many of the same issues crept up and, and caught them last year too, and they weren't very good defensively. So they're changing it up. They're doing some more stuff. They're blitzing more, I think, to to get more of a pass rush. So it's it's a work in progress. But I do think against Tulsa and against Akron, they did make some t- tangible changes that that I think will benefit them in the long run.
1: And just touching on linebacker, uh, I know you had written earlier that you know depth is an issue there. Obviously, uh, pretty. Uh, made a lot of headlines with Kayvon Pope uh, quitting the team mid-game. You know h- how much of a concern is the linebacker position for them, both you know in this game, but also long-term this season.
2: Mildly concerning, I would I would say they 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 switched up the way they play a little bit. Now they they really only play with two traditional linebackers anymore. They they kind of remove the third linebacker and they play more of a hybrid guy there. That guy's Ronnie Hickman from Jersey, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. So they have seven scholarship linebackers for basically two positions so it's not great it's, it's not the worst situation in the world but they did lose Kayvon Pope who you mentioned who quit the team mid-game and then was dismissed from the program and has since entered the transfer portal um, Dallas Gantt who was another senior linebacker transferred in the middle of last week um, and they didn't have much experience in that room to begin with so they did lose two seniors which I think matters from a leadership standpoint but but I will say that that both Pope and Gantt uh, just weren't playing a ton. And I think that's part of the reason why you saw some frustration and I've seen them transfer They're They're really relying on younger guys there. Cody Simon, another Jersey guy. Uh, Steel Chambers, who was a converted running back, played running back the first two years and made the switch to the linebacker this offseason, who seems to be growing a little bit. Um, Tommy Eichenberg, who's a, a Cleveland kid, who, who's, you know, he's he's okay. I, I think that that Cody Simon and Steel Chambers are starting to emerge as their best two. And then with Tommy Eichenberg and Taraja Mitchell, you have two other guys there who I think you can rely on. So they're not collectively it's not the the most talented group in the world although i think cody simon does have a lot of upside but it's, it's maybe a step down from what people are used to seeing at linebacker from ohio state but i still think that core four could be pretty good
1: and just uh, shifting back to offense you know they have so many playmakers both the receiving core but also with the running backs trayvon henderson maya williams uh master teague third pack who's you know a pretty good third back mm-hmm. how how have they switched things up or how versatile is that run game
2: it's pretty versatile, both both in scheme and personnel. I think they they have done they've had a little more balance, I think, in terms of the kind the kind of plays they run, just kind of mixing it up and not relying so heavily on they've they ran like a lot of wide zone running plays under Ryan Day since he got here, and there's that that's still prevalent, but they're doing some different stuff as well. And then Trevion Henderson is I don't want to be too hyperbolic because he's only played four games, but he might be the best running back they've had like in the last I don't know fifteen years maybe even going back farther than that, he is really, really good. Um, and he only has 46 carries so far this year, but he's averaging almost 10 yards a carry. He's got six touchdowns. He's a big-time home run hitter. He's got incredible speed, great agility, makes guys miss, uh, forces a, a bunch of missed tackles. So so he, the last two weeks, has pretty clearly cemented himself as the number one back. But then behind him, they have Master Teague, who you mentioned, and Mayan Williams, who is a second-year guy. And Master Teague is, is a bigger, kind of more of like an upright runner. He's probably you know, close to six foot, 225, 30 pounds, just a really big guy, more of a downhill kind of straight line runner. And then Maya Williams is like five foot eight. It's like the polar opposite of master T his his nickname used to be bowling ball because he's so low to the ground. Um, And he's pretty shifty, but he's got some power to his game as well. He's about 220 pounds. So between Trevion, who is, I think, a nightmare now for every defensive coordinator Ohio State will go against, and those two guys behind him who kind of bring a little bit something different to to the package, it's a really well-balanced, diverse, and explosive running game that I think Ohio State is going to start to hang its hat on a bit as it kind of works through its quarterback issues.
1: So, obviously, you've covered Ohio State for a long time. Greg Schiano was the defensive coordinator there for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- what has kind of your take been on, or I guess, how is he, I wouldn't say maybe legacy is the wrong word to use, but how is he kind of remembered for the time that he worked there? And what are kind of the Ohio State perspective on the job he's done at Rutgers so far?
2: I think when he first left, he was not super beloved because their defenses last year was terrible. And I, there was a weird dynamic there, which I'm sure like everyone's aware of. I think everyone thought that Greg was going to leave. So they brought in Alex Grinch to, I think, replace Greg. And then Greg ended up staying. So you kind of had like two defensive coordinators on staff. And I think uh, two guys who were ended up in roles that they didn't really anticipate. And it just didn't really work out. And they had some other uh, uh, what I consider bad assistant hires on that side of the ball, too. So it just wasn't a great situation. But their defense in 2016, when Greg first got there, was excellent. Um, In 2017, it was pretty good too. And I think with time, people have come to appreciate what Greg did when he first got to Ohio State and a part of that I think is how quickly he has really upped the level of competency at Rutgers um, and, and I think like last year I wouldn't say Rutgers put a scare into Ohio State last year but but certainly they they kept it a, a little interesting and then you just look at what Rutgers has done sort of outside of that game the, you know the success they had last year what they've done so far this year I thought they looked really competitive with Michigan and honestly I think Rutgers probably should have won that game if, if they were able to do a little bit more offensively there at the end um, but, but I think that that has helped people remember Greg a little more fondly here in Columbus where otherwise if he would have just left after 2018 and, and maybe hadn't gotten back into coaching or was coaching somewhere else that wasn't so close and familiar in the Big Ten like Rutgers is that, that maybe that'd be a little bit different. But there's a, I think there's a, a decent level of respect here for him. And that's with the fan base and with Ryan Day too. Even though Ryan Day didn't retain him, I think he does carry a lot of respect for Greg Shiano.
1: And you know, you mentioned you know there's so many key contributors for Ohio State that are that are uh, so young, few true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, you know, they did have one road game so far at Minnesota to open the season. Um, you know, w- was there a little bit of uh, kind of an adjustment in that regard? And do you think that there will be maybe in this game, hopefully a, a sellout crowd? And obviously, um, you know, Rutgers fans with real hope now after the way they played Michigan, um, you know, it should be a pretty good environment.
2: Yeah, I think there will be. The, the, the environment at Minnesota was pretty good and, and it did seem like it took Ohio State some time, especially on the offensive side to, to kind of figure that out. And, you know, I, I think that Rutgers might be better than Minnesota. Um, so I think you you're stepping into a situation now where I th- I think it will be that similar kind of environment. You have a better opponent, an, a, an opponent that that plays Rutgers might play harder than anybody else in the Big Ten. Um, and if they're playing, you know, with that kind of crowd behind them, the kind of crowd that I anticipate it would be, that that's a different animal to to handle. Which is why I think the spread is, is so close in this game and the closest it's been since since Rutgers has been in the Big Ten. Um, so I, I'm a little curious to see that myself, especially how C.J. Stroud handles that, but also Ohio State's offensive line. You know, they have a a uh, uh, first-year starting center and Luke Whipler, who was another kid from New Jersey. Uh, there's a theme <laughs> there, theme there with Ohio State, I think. Um, I, I thought Luke handled the, the road okay at Minnesota. There were a few hiccups, and you know now he's going on the road again. It's going to be a loud environment. Maybe he'll have some extra butterflies because he's playing back at home. So that might be something to monitor too. But yeah, I think just in general, when they are so young. Uh, especially you know they're they're young at the most important position, a quarterback. They're young in spots on the offensive line and they're very young just sort of in general in defense. Um, I think a lot of a lot of those guys will have to maybe recalibrate after playing a couple home games in a, in a row here.
1: And last question for you, just in terms of the talent uh, on this roster, obviously the kind of spotty start, you know, how do you, I guess what's your expectation or outlook for this team? And and you know aside obviously winning a national championship is kind of the standard of course, um, mm. but you know is this team in your estimation still
2: good enough to to make a, a legitimate run at that title? I don't think so. I, I just I just can't get on board with the defense being good enough to win a national title. I think. And maybe I'll change my mind on that in a couple weeks. Like I said, they've made some, what I consider some substantial changes here the last two weeks, and they're going to keep building upon that. So maybe that continues to get better and I'll, and I'll sing a different tune a month from now, but as it stands right now, I I just don't think that their defense is going to be good enough to win a national title. And, and I still have not seen enough from the quarterback position to think that the offense is going to be able to maximize its potential, which I think would also need to happen for them to win a national title. Now, I still think they can win the rest of their games and get to the playoff. But if you're going to tell me that this, team what what i've seen from this team right now is going to have to get on the field with an alabama or georgia and beat one of those teams I, i don't think they're capable of doing that right now so i wouldn't pick them to win the national title and i do think they look much more capable of losing two games this year than i thought they would have coming into the season
1: well Rutgers fans obviously hope loss number two comes this weekend bill landis of the athletic thank you so much for
2: joining us really appreciate all your insight. Yeah, thanks, for having me I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much again to Keith Sargent of NJ Advanced Media and Bill Landis of The Athletic for their insight on both Rutgers and Ohio State heading into week five matchup this Saturday, 3.30 at SHI Stadium. Last season, we know Ohio State, you know, went out to a 35-3 to lead, really took control of that game. Rutgers, to their credit, fought back, really opened up the playbook and were able to make it respectable, lost by uh, three touchdowns, Ohio State is less than three touchdown favorites coming into this game, spread open at 15 and a half and 17, two different lines there. Uh, I expect it to get closer to three touchdowns before Saturday. Obviously, uh, you know, th- there's some question marks there, but at the end of the day, all you have to do is, is go and look at the recruiting rankings and, and look how uh, Ohio State has, you know, top five year after year after year. I think it's going to be a much taller task than they uh, for Rutgers to stay competitive. Compared to Michigan, I also think Ohio State you know, knows what to expect now a little bit. I think Rutgers surprised Michigan a little bit. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, as I said last week, a great performance would be huge, would raise expectations, but a loss, even a blowout loss, really doesn't change anything. I think the most important outcome of this game is Rutgers has got to come out healthy because all of a sudden you have a winnable stretch with Michigan State, Northwestern, Illinois, by week in between you need to be ready for that stretch. They could potentially become bowl eligible before we get to November, which really would be incredible. But a lot to be excited about with this team, lots to be excited about with Rutgers sports this fall. Things are really starting to pick up now with winter sports uh, in practice, not too far away, only uh, less than two months from the start of the regular season for men's and women's basketball, wrestling as well, not too far out. Uh, So a lot to be excited about as the fall sports fall sports are in full gear in Big Ten play. And make sure you stay tuned for all of our coverage here at On The
0: Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.